Today on Sporty's Fast Five podcast, we welcome iPad Pilot News editor Brett Kobe for a discussion on iPads and aviation, what counts as a legal weather briefing, and how flight simulators influenced his career. 30 minutes, five questions, and one pilot. Fast Five starts right now. Hello, everyone. I'm John Zimmerman of Sporties, and my guest today on the podcast is Brett Kobe. Brett is a flight instructor, vice president of course development at Sporties, a contributing editor at Flying Magazine, and the editor-in-chief of iPad Pilot News. He's been flying with the iPad both as a corporate pilot and an instructor since it first came out in 2010, so he knows it very, very well. Brett, welcome to Fast Five. Thanks, John. Fun to be here. Let's start with what I hope is an easy question. Has the iPad made flying safer? So I'm not talking about, you know, fun or easy, but has it actually made flying safer? I think absolutely, definite yes there. Um, Look at the low-hanging fruit initially. Uh, It's a device that provides all the digital charts for pilots. Um, So I think my big takeaway in the last 10 years, 11 years of flying with the product and uh, talking with other pilots is more pilots are flying with current data, first off, than ever before. Uh, whether it's a VFR pilot with the sectional and the airport facility directory, uh, the IFR pilot with instrument approaches, departure procedures. Uh, so strictly on the data level, uh, that part there is covered. Uh, you know, Prior to this, we had big flight bags full of sectional charts and approach charts. And I'd say if you inventoried a lot of pilots flying around, uh, they probably had a lot of expired dates on there, which was fine. You know, that, that wasn't necessarily contributing to accidents. Um, but let's get that out of the way right away, that, you know, all the data is probably current in just about most cockpits now, thanks to that, that device. So pilots are flying with more current data, and I don't think anybody could uh, disagree with that. But is there a distraction factor, you think, that is a problem? I think it's actually the opposite. Uh, so with apps like ForeFlight and Garmin Pilot, um, they've taken the, the data element, providing the charts and data, and then have built so many different layers and advanced features on top of that. Uh, so they, first off, they have their own aeronautical chart features, which display data-driven charts. Uh, we've seen that a lot on Garmin panel mount systems for years, even, even dating back to the Garmin handheld units. So things that they can display terrain, can display traffic, uh, can display weather with ADSB or Sirius XM inputs. Um, so we've taken the electronic digital data in the chart form and then have really built up a very sophisticated display mechanism. Um, and that's got a lot of benefits, in my opinion. Uh, first off, because the iPad and the apps can always know where you're at, thanks to GPS, they can provide contextual alerts that can help the pilot. And so what I focus on in my flying and kind of thinking about this is the single pilot uh, flying IFR uh, 10, 12,000 feet, two, 300 mile uh, flights. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of you know boredom throughout the, the en route portion, um, but during the departure and especially the arrival uh, and the approach, there's a lot of things going on uh, and a lot of a lot of tasks and demands pulling your attention in different directions. Um, so from the distraction standpoint, what I've found is that alerts, uh, things like traffic alerts, um, what altitude you're passing through, you can set up altitude reminders, um, and even some of the apps are sophisticated enough to talk to your Apple Watch, for example and can vibrate your wrist if you're uh, deviating from altitude, things like that that you can incorporate. Uh, Alerts uh, as you approach the airport, make sure you're lined up with the correct runway. So I think what the apps have done is realize that we don't need a lot of heads down time, uh, but by configuring these kind of, again, contextual alerts, developing the iPad as a digital co-pilot, I like to call it, um, really can improve the safety because you're not heads down as much. Um, But when something doesn't go right, uh, nearby traffic, let's say, uh, approaching a TFR, 
maybe something you missed in the briefing, uh, approaching airspace, the IPAC can get your attention and really contribute to the safety of the flight. Things that you may not have paid attention to or in the past uh, because of distractions just in the, the duties of the flight. Yeah, that's a great point. I think most people who, if they don't fly with an iPad, maybe they're vaguely familiar with the sort of initial version of these apps where it was basically a digital chart viewer. But what you're suggesting there is that over the last few years, they've really grown and matured to be much more uh, proactive as a co-pilot versus just a sort of a static chart viewer. Exactly. And, and I think they've really just scratched the surface. You know, I think we're going to look back in five and 10 years and say that was a very simple version of what it can become, especially as it integrates with the instrument panel further and further, um, the Garmin flight stream and the Connects program. Uh, the fact that it can work with ForeFlight and Garmin Pilot, so it's not just limited to the Garmin ecosystem, uh, the, the panel can send the data to your, your iPad. Um, take that one step further, so factor in that, that most pilots are probably flying with ADS-B weather today. It's affordable. You can get an ADS-B receiver for less than $500 and have data link weather displayed on your iPad. You've got traffic. That's really real-time coming over the ADS-B system. So you've got traffic, weather, um, and on top of that, GPS, we have the, the terrain awareness like I mentioned before. Um, and one stat, actually, John, that you wrote about in an Airfax article uh, that you found in an AOPA study, I believe it was a five-year period from uh, 2013 to 2017, looked at uh, three causes of aviation accidents, uh, focusing on weather, focusing on mid-air collisions, and controlled flight into terrain. Uh, and what they found in that study is that pilots flying with ADS-B in uh, so again, assuming you have the weather and traffic information, those pilots compared to aircraft not flying with ADS-B in had a 50% reduction in accidents. Uh, and I think on the fatal side, it was a 90% reduction. So, and I think it's more than just the weather, traffic, and uh, terrain. It's the fact that pilots are flying with technology, and there's more to it than just those, you know, three features. It really is those contextual alerts, uh, all the information in the iPad and display there kind of come together and really does increase the safety. So I think the stats prove it uh, more than just what we think uh, anecdotally. Well, you're preaching to the choir. So if if we if I take it that the iPad does make flying safer, the question it brings up to me is how do we then introduce it for a new pilot? You know, somebody who's been flying for 10 years, they learn to fly, and then they add on this piece to it. But somebody coming in today... Do we start out with 10 lessons on dead reckoning, or do we introduce four flight on the first lesson so they train like they're going to fly? Great question. Uh, so I think it's a hybrid approach. I think most pilots are going to buy an iPad on day one, probably subscribe to an aviation app, like with the headset or other purchases, probably what their flight instructor recommends. Um, and really, the app doesn't matter so much at the beginning, uh, because at that point, the pilots are using it as a, as a student pilot uh, for that digital chart display. So it's going to be their sectional airport facility directory the critical information to learn about the airport environment and then to uh, plan to visit other airports. Now, so we have to always consider the urban certification standards. The ACS is what drives the training requirements. Um, and as you mentioned, dead reckoning, yes, that's still a requirement. We have to learn pilotage. Uh, we have to learn to plan a flight using check marks, uh, checkpoints on the ground, visual landmarks. And I think any pilot, whether brand new or flying for 50 years, recognizes the value in that um, to keep your eyes out the window. Uh, we don't want to learn right from the beginning to use GPS and to use this fantastic tool as the primary training uh, means of navigation. Um, so I think what you're going to find and what we teach at Sporties Academy is we're still going to teach to plan a cross-country flight, um, get a plotter out or measure the distance on the iPad, come up with a, a paper nav log, uh, come up with time and route to the destination, pull out the pilot's operating handbook, figure out the fuel burn, and basically plan that flight from start to finish uh, with paper and pencil, 
Now, as I say that, that doesn't mean you have to have the paper sectional out. You can use the sectional on the iPad. I think that's fine. But you might skip the fully automated flight planning features initially and, and learn how to do it by hand. Um, and I think there's value there twofold. A, it's going to prepare you for understanding how ForeFlight or Garmin Pilot actually plans your flights when you use it every day down the road. And from my opinion, whether you're flying a 172 or a Gulfstream, you got to have some kind of mental awareness of what the rough numbers for the flight are going to be for that day. You know, what's my approximate fuel burn? What's my time and route? You kind of got to basically air check that every time you look up uh, your flight planning performance in a flight or uh, an internet-based application. And I think by learning that, in addition to being an FAA requirement, um, it's going to make you a better pilot down the road by saying one day, if I if I fudge a number, if I put a wrong value in, um, garbage in, garbage out, right? Mm -hmm. um, I got to be able to mentally check and know that that time makes sense, uh, that that fuel burn makes sense uh, for that flight plan for the day. Yeah, I think that's that was an eye opener for me. It seems so obvious, but I'd never considered that you could use ForeFlight or Garmin or WingX or whatever without using a GPS. You know, use, use it like you would use a paper sectional. It's just digital and you can use your fingers to measure on it, but you're still not, you know, quote unquote, cheating by using all the automated stuff. So there, there's something in between all iPad all the time and no iPad ever. You know, there's, I think there's a middle path there that not enough people appreciate. Exactly, and that's what we see our flight instructors doing. Uh, the students are there with the iPad on their D-board with the sectional chart, uh, but they'll turn off own ship, uh, which is the display of your aircraft's position on the sectional. Um, so it's really just an electronic version of the, of the paper chart at that point uh, with your frequencies, with your airport diagram, et cetera, all ready to go. So while we're on the pre-flight planning topic, that brings up my third main question here, which is, sort of myth buster time. Tell me why it's okay to use ForeFlight or Garmin for a weather briefing. I mean, there's a, I feel like still in 2021, there's a lot of confusion about this, but can I do that? Am I, am I cheating or breaking the rules by doing that? Absolutely not. Uh, and, and first off, common sense should tell you that uh, if, you, if you can look at ForeFlight and look at radar imagery, look at a METAR, look at TAF, uh, look at prog charts, look at convective outlooks, the whole nine yards, the same things that a flight service briefer I would tell you common sense should say that should be a legal briefing, if not better than what you get from calling flight service. Uh, and actually, finally, the FAA uh, recognized that back in March this year. Uh, they released a new advisory circular, 9192, uh, which is a great read. And it actually has some really practical advice and checklists for pilots to look at. Um, so if you have that misconception that advisory circulars are all uh, legal mumbo jumbo, uh, throw that out the window for this one and, and download it and check it out. Uh, but what the, the nuts and bolts of it say is that a self-breathing is compliant uh, with what the FAA considers to be, um, and I hate to use this term, but legal weather briefing, because there really is no legal weather briefing. Um, we have our pre-flight FAR requirements, check the weather. Uh, if we're out of the vicinity of the airport, check forecasts, check reports. But there's really no section of an FAR that says legal weather briefing must call a flight service station. And I think that's been the preconception, especially for pilots flying 15 plus years. Um, I know when I learned to fly in 2000, all the briefings started with the call to flight service, 1-800-WX-BRIEF. Uh, that's right when DUOT and DUOTS was becoming more and more popular on the internet. Uh, but it, it, it always felt like there had to be a better way. And that's what technology here has done for us, is provided graphical products for pilots to look at. Um, so if, in the back of your head, if you said, okay, this is a weather briefing, well, you're right. It, it is a legal briefing to use the products in ForeFlight and Garmin Pilot. What would you tell somebody who says, hey, yeah, but I like to call flight service, you know, to get it on tape or to, you know, prove I looked at it? I mean, are you, are you totally uh, hanging out there alone if you don't call and quote unquote get it on tape? No, and I want to make that clear. There will be pilots and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that that want to call flight service. And I don't want to discourage that. If that makes you comfortable, uh, it's a service out there and that's what it's for. You know, use it. Uh, but don't do that just to check a box. 
just to say I check TFRs. Um, honestly, the, the TFR data you're going to get on the FAA website, uh, for flight electronic internet websites, honestly, might even be better. All right, Brett, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with some more questions. This is a special offer for Fast Five listeners. Save 20% on the Flight Gear iPad battery pack. This 20,000 milliamp hour battery can charge three devices at once. Perfect for your iPad, iPhone, and ADSB receiver. Plus, it accepts multiple charging plugs, so it's easy to keep it topped off with whichever cable you have handy. Visit sporties.com battery and use code PODCAST3 at checkout to unlock your exclusive savings. So we talked a little bit earlier about how apps have changed since they first came out. And that brings up a, a question to me of sort of how this industry has evolved. You know, when it got started, it felt like it was a lot of sort of nights and weekends projects from individual app developers. Uh, but it feels like it's grown up a lot and sort of the maybe the Wild West days of the app store are over. What do you see as somebody who looks at basically every new app every week? What's the, what's the aviation app world like these days and how has it changed? Sure. Uh, so look back to 2010 again uh, when the iPad was introduced. Um, at that time, we had a couple apps that were already out there because uh, the iPhone had been around for two or three years prior to that and had an app store. Uh, so some of the early uh, folks in the scene, uh, ForeFlight, Garmin Pilot, WingX Pro, uh, were out there. And we still hear those names today. Um, and it's one of those things, I think, that when pilots first bought their iPad, they bought an app that their other friends recommended or their flight instructor recommended. They've likely stuck with that through the last 10, 11 years. Now, we've seen a lot of EFB apps uh, start up between 2010 and 2014, uh, like you meant, uh, mentioned, the night and weekend projects by individual developers. And some of those had some really neat, unique features uh, to the point where the big guys, uh, ForeFlight, uh, Garmin Pilot, have bought them up. And, and they've brought that technology into their app platform. So we saw a lot of growth in the, probably the first five years. I think the last five years, we've seen a lot of consolidation. And so we haven't seen a whole lot of new EFB app startups, uh, full-featured apps, you know, the sectional weather charting and all that. Um, but what we have seen is a lot of startups of niche-type uh, niche apps, um, so some very focused weather apps, uh, some focused in-flight uh, augmented reality-type applications. Uh, but I think, again, as we see, uh, it's, it's a game of uh, copycat also. So when somebody comes out with a new feature, it's not surprising to see it in the competitor within a year and often a very similar interface. Um, and that's great. You know, competition's really what drives this industry. At this point, though, there's really three or four main players in, in the business as far as the main, main apps go. And, and I see like, that likely continuing for the uh, next several years to come. And how should somebody pick if they're, if they're new and they're considering an app? And it can be kind of overwhelming. How do you suggest a pilot evaluate their options? Good question. Um, and think back before the iPad. Uh, so we had the Garmin 396 and you had uh, other products that were hardware. You had to invest hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And you had to make the right choice that first time when you bought that piece of hardware uh, for your cockpit, portable technology, uh, handheld products. Now it's much better. Uh, you buy the iPad and whether it's the $350 entry level or the $1,000 iPad Pro, they all work great with all the apps. Uh, but all the programs have free trials, 30-day uh, free trials you can check out. So my recommendation is, and uh, in, in one of the blogs that, that uh, John and I, we both write for, iPad Pilot News, has a listing of aviation apps, a great directory. So I'd recommend head over to iPad Pilot News and, and just check out what's out there even uh, uh, for a listing. But then download them and sign up for the free trial, 30 days, no commitments. 
and see what you like about it. Everybody has their preference. There's, you know, the Coke Pepsi uh, debate. Same thing here. There's not one best one, in my opinion. Uh, they all provide all the essential data to be legal. Uh, they all provide traffic, weather, those features we talked about earlier that contribute to safety. Uh, but it really comes down to your personal preference. And you won't know until you sit down and, and plan a flight with it, take it up in the airplane, what makes you feel comfortable. And I think that's going to guide your decision. I want to change subjects a little bit here for the final main question, which is sort of related, but an area you work in in addition to the world of iPads and apps is flight simulators. And I know for a lot of people, flight simulators was an early introduction to aviation, and there's a lot of talk about flight simulators now with new Microsoft flight simulator coming out last year. Was flight simulators part of your journey in aviation? Absolutely. Uh, I think back to probably 1995, and I'd say there's a good chance I wouldn't have gotten into aviation as a career and, and hobby like the, the same uh, if it weren't for Flight Simulator, uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 95. And I think a lot of pilots today that grew up with that technology, uh, which is very basic and very simple at the time running on, you know, Windows computers. Uh, but we were all can visualize the exact same site sitting with a Cessna 182RG uh, at a runway at MIGS in Chicago and taking off and flying around the skyline and, and really... Uh, enjoying the sights and sounds and the feel and the realism. You know, even then the cockpit of the of the Cessna aircraft were so real, the switches, the flight instruments. Um, and I vividly remember when Cessna, you know, brought the aviation industry back in 96, I believe, with the uh, or the reintroduction of the 172 and the R model. Microsoft Flight Sim put that airplane in there. Uh, and it was great because that's what all the flight schools were buying. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in high school flying the 172R around, you know, Maybe not developing the best habits, but I knew the instrument panel. I knew the switches. So when I got to the flight school, uh, I was very familiar and comfortable getting into the airplane. Um, so in addition to introducing me to aviation, I think it also accelerated my flight training because there's a lot of concepts I had become familiar with uh, due to the hobby aspect of, of flight sim at that time. How would you describe the new Microsoft Flight Simulator compared to the one you grew up with in 95? <laughs> so, yeah, um, when I saw the, the commercial for it on YouTube, uh, I thought it was an animated promotional video. And then they said, no, that's actually a, a screen recording from the simulator. I mean, it blew my mind, the realism and the, and the effect. And some may say that's eye candy, but I, I think the visuals contribute to the enjoyment and what might draw you into the flight sim in the first place. Um, and on top of that, it has the infinite level of realism of all the weather. Uh, and the weather is fantastic, the, the cloud displays and all that, uh, which, um, again, from a training standpoint, is even better, you know, to, to, to fly in real weather and to be able to simulate the conditions that are actually happening that day in Microsoft Flight Simulator is, is fantastic. Um, and so kind of thinking back to, to my time, Flight Sim led me into aviation, you know, really looking forward to airline flights. And in that area, you can go meet the captain and walk into the cockpit. You know, aviation was just really special because there weren't a whole lot of barriers or doors blocking it off. And today there are, unfortunately. So we're not going to get to meet the captain on the airline flight. Um, so I think the combination of Flight Sim, but then also the interest in YouTube, all the videos that we can watch, it's kind of a different dynamic, but that's what technology does, is drawing more and more people into aviation uh, that, that wouldn't have in the past. Um, but, but then Flight Sim, you know, kind of the building on that from a, a pilot standpoint is also a great training resource. And that's what we're seeing also is not just hobbyists and gamers, but um, pilots and training uh, being able to use as, as a more productive tool. And I think you raise a great point there because that, that even ties back to the iPad, right, where maybe a lot of people don't realize it's fairly easy to connect ForeFlight or Garmin Pilot to Flight Simulator and use the simulator, if nothing else, for 
learning how to use your EFB app, right? Exactly. So so take off in a 172 and the brand new Microsoft Flight Sim or X-Plane, either one work well. Even just put the aircraft on autopilot, uh, but then have your knee uh, iPad and your kneeboard on your lap there, and you can go ahead and interact with every last feature. Uh, so you can go through the settings, check all your alerts again that I mentioned. So the, the same safety factors uh, and contributing features that uh, contribute to safety, you can practice using the flight sim device. Um, again, just by setting it up on autopilot on, on the simulator, and you can devote all your time heads down in a nice, safe, uh, comfortable environment and learn more about your iPad and the apps. Because it connects, and you'll see your GPS position right on the iPad as if you're actually flying. All right, Brett, we like to end every one of these episodes with some rapid-fire questions in a segment we call Ready to Copy. I'll throw out some topics. You give me a quick answer. Are you ready to copy? Ready to copy, John. iOS or Android? iOS, iPad uh, was my first mobile phone, most uh, first tablet device, so primacy is set in there, and that's what I'm comfortable with still today. What's your favorite av- aviation app? Same thing there. I was a four-flight user back in the days before the iPad when it was on iPhone, and that's what I've become most comfortable with and have all my aircraft stored there, so that's what I continue to use today. What's an underrated app besides the big you know, three or four that maybe pilots should know more about? So, again, I mentioned some niche apps that have popped up. Uh, one of my favorites is... Uh, Cloud Topper. It takes the camera of your iPad or iPhone, and you can hold it out the front window, uh, especially useful for VFR and IFR pilots, and it'll show a level. Uh, it'll show you your current altitude if you're going to clear that cloud maybe 40, 50 miles ahead, and whether you need to divert or climb higher. ADSB or Sirius XM weather? ADSB for me. Uh, I started off with Sirius XM, and that was really the first introduction to data link weather, uh, but you can't beat the subscription-free effort. Uh, by the FAA and the government to provide that data uh, to pilots and uh, great, great um, up-to-date information and radar imagery in flight. When you're flying with your iPad, on an e-board or on a mount? I'm an e-board person. Uh, I fly on a variety of aircraft, and uh, whether it's a side stick or a center stick or a yoke or a big, uh, bigger yoke and a jet, uh, the kneeboard fits them all, and it's a way for me to co- feel comfortable and stay consistent across all aircraft types. All right, we're going to upset half of our listeners because I'm going to ask you whether you're a north up or a track up guy. So I know you said a quick answer. <laughs> I'm going to give you one division. If I'm dealing with weather, traffic, or terrain, I'm track up, so I can see it in relation to my path. If I'm flying a nice VFR flight, nothing around, I'm north up. Wow, a true, true Switzerland answer. I like it. <laughs> uh, you get to do some flying in Sporty's famous uh, red Aztec, 1963 twin uh, that has graced our catalog cover many times. What's the best part of flying that airplane around? So we're very fortunate, and, and the Aztec's been a part of uh, Sporty's DNA since really the 1960s, and Hal Shevers, the, the founder and, and chairman of Sporty's, has flown that airplane uh, all over the North America, really. Uh, and it, it's neat to continue that tradition today in such a reliable airplane. Um, but it, to me, uh, being able to load up 900 pounds in an airplane and take off with full fuel and be able to load and fly for four hours uh, with the reliability of two lumbering 250 horsepower engines out there, uh, the sound, the feel, it's just a, it's a truck and it's a, it's a freight hauler. Uh, so it's just a great, great family airplane and great vacation airplane to load up and Kind of like a minivan in the sky, essentially. You do need a good headset, right? <laughs> the only Bose A20. You take that headset off, and you're going to be uh, you're going to be deaf for a while. All right, as we like to do a question outside of aviation, uh, many of my colleagues at Sporties know you're a master when it comes to grilling and smoking meat. Uh, you sometimes share uh, your skills with those of us at Sporties. So, for all the amateur grillers or smokers out there, what's one quick tip for better results? Always, always, always plan more time than you think you need. 
Uh, so as, ask anybody who's done smoking, whether it's on a, a pellet smoker or a charcoal or a Kamado ceramic smoker, uh, start it the night before, let it run all night. When it's done in the morning, it's done in the afternoon, that's fine. Uh, the meat's ready, let it rest. Um, when it's done, it's done. You can't predict that. So build in lots of time and it's more important to have it ready and done than to still sit there on the smoker when your, your friends and family are waiting for it. All right, our final question. You've got one final flight. What are you flying and where are you going? For my last flight, uh, I've done this once actually as a passenger, but I'd love to do it as the pilot in command. Uh, I would head down to Florida, uh, find a friend with a uh, air cam, a twin engine uh, pusher uh, float plane, and I would just hop around lake to lake uh, until it hit sunset, park the aircraft one final time, and enjoy some uh, storytelling on the dock with the pilots nearby. Brett Kobe, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to Sporty's Fast Five podcast, brought to you by Sporty's Pilot Shop. For more episodes and links to additional information, visit sporties.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy this podcast, take a minute to leave a review wherever you listen. I'm John Zimmerman. We'll see you next time on Fast Five.